Pass to the Hamilton Honey Badgers. We are just days away from the championship semifinal tournament in Ottawa to help us preview that and to talk about his basketball journey along the way. It's Salt Fleet Secondary's finest, Nick Jogo. Nick, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to do this. My pleasure. And you've got an incredibly interesting background from almost quitting basketball in grade 8, 9, and 10 from your parents coming from the former Yugoslavia and obviously going through some harrowing tales over there. So much inspiration that you've talked about and I want to try to get through that journey and, and sort of revisit that and get to where we are today. So, so first of all, what's your first vivid basketball memory? Vivid basketball memory, I'd say, is we lived in downtown Hamilton, in a, me, the four of us, my mom, my dad, my sister, and me, um, and we lived in downtown Hamilton, a crummy one-bedroom apartment, and there was a basketball court that was about, I'd say, like a seven, eight-minute walk away from the apartment. Uh, because the area was kind of bad, my parents wouldn't let me go out by ourselves, and so I waited every day until my dad came home from work. My dad worked all the time, and at like six, seven or night, he would walk me over to the basketball court, and he'd rebound for me. I was like seven years old, and I barely get the ball up to the hoop, but that was that was my one vivid first basketball memory. Now, was your dad a, a basketball fan growing up? Yeah, basketball and soccer. He played both, um, nothing to like a high level, but he loved sports. He's a sports guy, so. So... You know, I mentioned in grade eight when you start AAU, that's when the game becomes super serious for you. Yep, but yep. before you get there, when was basketball the most fun for you? Most fun, I'd say, honestly, my first like uh, competitive kind of basketball was called SNF. It was the Serbian National Federation, and it was me and a bunch of my Serbian buddies, and we played we played together fifth, sixth, seventh grade. We traveled all around America to play. I think that was the first time I really found myself enjoying basketball. And you mentioned with you mentioned that you played with a bunch of Serbian dudes also in grade eight in your AAU team. Tall, smart Serbian dudes is what you said. Is yep. that what? I mean, what is that commonality in the Serbian style of play that you guys share? Yeah, I think it's I think it's the way Europe teaches the game. Um, they're very focused on team oriented basketball, kind of five on five versus instead of one on one. Um, a lot of us aren't as naturally athletically gifted as some of the North American players. So you have to use your intelligence and basketball IQ to kind of make up for that lost ground. And honestly, just growing up, a bunch of like Serbians, I think, teach basketball the right way. And and I love playing with, with guys from my country because the game's always great and the ball moves and the offense is flowing. So. And you got the MVP to look up to, the two-time MVP yep, to, yep. to look up to is for, for some inspiration along with so many other players, obviously, yep. that came before... Uh, your namesake, Nikola Jokic. Yeah. Um, but so you head off to, we don't head off to high school. Grade eight, you join an AAU team, um, IBSA. And the uh, the head coach is very famous. And I want to try to get the pronunciation right. You, yeah. can, you can correct me. Sure. Zelimir Stevanovic. Zelimir Stevanovic. Stevanovic. Okay, Stevanovic. I, was, I, was, I was close. At least I yeah. tried, right? Most people yep. don't try. Very famous coach, had a long basketball career himself. Yep. And you've mentioned the, the ups and downs of playing for him. Yes. And you say at the end of the day, you saw that he saw something in you, and that's why he was so hard on you. Yep. But when you're in the middle of things, in yep. like grade eight and nine, you're not playing that much. He's all over you during practice. 
Like, what's a grade nine practice like when you're not getting playing time? What's your what's your mindset? What's a practice like under Coach Z? It's honestly the worst thing ever. Like he would he he wouldn't only not play me. He used to pick at my insecurities. Like I was a really skinny kid growing up, and at, at every practice we would do shirts and skins five on five. And he knew how much I hated being skins, especially if there was like girls in the gym. Like what? what I, I was super insecure about my body, and um, and he would like say, "All right, time for five on five shirts and skins." And he would name four skins, and every time he would stop on the fifth guy. And kind of like look around the gym as if he kind of was picking who, but he always knew it was going to be me. And at the very end, he would point right to me and he'd be like, take that shirt off. And he would just like, he would pick at your insecurity, but it was all because he was trying to strengthen you. His, his philosophy was tearing you down before he was going to build you up. And the players that he saw a bunch of potential in, he made it an emphasis every day to tear them down and then build them back up and build them to a greater, greater place than where they were before. And that's what happened with me. So. He's from the former Yugoslavia as well? Yes, yes. Is this part of some sort of ingrained old-time philosophy, army-related, or something that Serbians bring? Or is this specific to Coach Z, this teardown to, to bring back up? I mean, I've heard that Serbians especially, but all of Europeans, are much more intense coaching, and it's a lot more tough love. But Z was kind of my first um, example to that and like real life experience, and he, I think he took it a little overboard, but I mean, it worked out for me. So yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. it worked out. It's yeah. interesting. There's so many coaches that talk about uh, coaching individually certain players. This guy needs to be. I need to be on this guy. This guy, I need to be sort of hands off a little yeah. bit. Do you think it's kind of convenient to look back and say, "Oh, well, this style worked for me, therefore it was right"? But like, was it really the right way to go about it? Yeah, you know, I've I've had my I've had my thoughts. You know, sitting in the room, be like, everything that he did, did it did it maybe do more harm than good? Was it, like I was like trying to analyze it, but the way I the way I see it is how he treated me as a player and a person. I ultimately respected more than anything because he was always 100% real with me and he, he was never satisfied with what I brought to the table and honestly that was exactly what I needed growing up as a kid. I would have games where I played really well and the very next day he would be the first person to get on me at the bad things I did. So I, I think he always kind of put me in like a hungry mind state and never being satisfied with, with what I've achieved and I mean I owe a lot of my basketball credit to what he's taught me. So, so you have a successful in the end career with that AAU team and then yeah. you go to the Athlete Institute for your final year of high school you have these runs in September where college coaches see you, you, you elevate your profile, but you still feel like before that you're kind of under-recruited out of high school, you're trying yep. to get people to notice you, yep. and you end up head, heading off to Notre Dame. You got a number of offers after Notre Dame gave you Correct. offers, so Division One schools came after yep. you, but you end up going off to Notre Dame, and you mentioned that in the first year or two, you weren't necessarily so happy about your role, yep. and you've also said, though... Perhaps you came in with a complacent mindset once you made yeah. once you made Notre Dame. Now, I've heard you say the stuff you say about Coach Bray after the fact before he went to Northeastern. But yep. looking back on it now, do you think it's possible that Coach Bray saw you maybe in the correct light in, in putting you in a role player, not unlocking you like you said, but based on the mindset that you brought? Have you ever like sort of been reflected on that? Maybe maybe he in some ways he was correct to put me in that box as bad as it felt. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, whenever players' college careers don't necessarily go the way they want to, it's extremely easy to kind of blame the head coach, the situation, whatever the case may be. And I think I've reflected quite a bit on it. And looking back, I think it's definitely as equal my fault as it was I felt some of the stuff that, you know, was put against me. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's your responsibility 
to earn what you're given and, you know, kind of carve out a role that you want. So, I mean, I think, yeah, if, if I was a coach and a player came in, and like I said myself, I was complacent. If I saw a player with that kind of mindset, I think, you know, I would also not give him the benefit of the doubt of like being, oh, this guy maybe isn't complacent all the time. I would put him in a role, like you said. And I think Coach Bray might have saw, saw that a little earlier. I felt I didn't deserve, I didn't get the chance um, that I that I deserved. But I do agree that looking back on it, the mindset I brought day one at Notre Dame wasn't reflective of a, of a player that I kind of made out to be in my head. So, and I'll tell you something about myself. I hate awkward situations. Yeah. And I saw, so I'm reading about either your interview. I saw an interview you did right before you transferred to Northeastern about not being terribly satisfied with your role in Notre yeah. Dame. And then I watched an interview you did. It was a Zoom interview with Jack Nolan and Mike Bray. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm watching your, your tone of voice. I'm watching you kind of slump down in your chair and you're trying to be positive yeah, about yeah. what's going on. But now I know. <laughs> Two years later, I know how you really feel. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember this interview with Jack I Nolan? Do, I, and do. Mike I, think, I think it was like I was in my room and I like I had a hat on and a hoodie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the interview very well. Yeah, yeah. And Coach Bray asked you, I, I, this I wanted to cringe so much. He's like, what's your favorite Tim Hortons thing? I'm like, yeah. oh my. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. my God. But yeah, you sometimes <laughs> just got to bite your lip and answer the questions the way they come to you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so there are moments, though, where you really shine at Notre Dame. Like you were growing in your role and then you suffer an injury in, in yep. your junior season. But there's only there's one game I wanted to ask you about. I like to ask guys like dates and like see if you can spot that date yeah. from your Notre Dame career. I got one from Notre Dame and one okay. from Northeastern. So the date I have, let's see if you can if you can identify it. Okay, let's see if this is fun. I like okay. it. Okay. So the date I have is January 29th, 2018. January 29th, 2018. Oh. What is that? It's a game? It's a game. January yeah. 29th, 2018. Is that the one against Boston College? No, another ACC, uh, much bigger, the powerhouse. UNC? The other one. Duke? Yes. At home? Was it not in Cameron? I hope it was in Cameron. Was it in Cameron? You guys lost by 22. Do you remember this game? Okay. Kay. I don't remember. Was it home or away? You scored 10 points. Okay. You played 30 minutes. That, was, that was away. That, that was, was away. away. I was away. I'm just, I was just looking at the lineup that Duke yeah, had. Yeah. yeah. They had Grayson Allen, Marvin Bagley, Wendell yeah, Carter Jr., yeah, Trayvon yeah. Duval, Gary Trent Jr. Yep, yep. Do you remember stepping into that gym and being like, this lineup is is just insane? The, the funny, the one thing I remember about that game is, so it was obviously packed. This was like the second or third quarter, and I'm on the bench. And we're already getting kind of like, they're, they're making their lead. The gym is rocking. And all of a sudden... There's like the loudest roar I have ever heard in my life. Like everybody screaming top of the lungs. There's nothing going on in the game. Someone, everyone just starts screaming. And I looked to my team. I thought Obama walked in. I thought Obama walked in. And you look on the jumbotron, and Zion Williamson walked in. And so it was a cheer for him. But it was like that. That was one of the things I remember from that game. Was just there was so much going on. Duke is Duke is always an insane environment to play, and it's it's absolutely nuts. So. So is there ever a time, maybe it's that game, maybe it's, you obviously played against a number of future NBA players where you, you felt that NBA presence and yeah, it, it, it led to the, it translated into the game perhaps. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you play against some of those big time ACC schools and the guys they have, future NBA all-star, like not just NBA players, I'm talking about NBA all-stars, you really get a sense for, you know, how good some of these guys are and, and ju you just feel like you're in the thick of like the height of college basketball. Like, I mean, these... 
these arenas and these teams, they're iconic. Everybody grows up watching them. And it, that was kind of like I had to reflect after the game and sit back and think like, wow, like that was an amazing experience I just had. Like, it's really great. So you have all of that great experience playing against powerhouse teams at Notre Dame. But after your fifth year, you get an opportunity because of COVID to transfer and play a sixth season. Yes. And you head over to Northeastern where your rule really expands. And that leads me to the second date that I had for you. That date is... February 22nd, 2022. February 22nd. Two guesses, either JMU or, or Charleston. It's one of the two. JMU. It's Charleston. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stuck in this game. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah. So that's your career high. Yeah, yeah. 27 points. They gave me four threes. Yeah. You played for all 40 minutes of yep. that game as well. Yep. Can you tell us, lay people, I know you don't like to be put in this box of uh, three-point shooter, spot-up shooter. That's not yep. just who you are, but... Can you explain to us lay people what it feels like to be feeling it? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's 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 just as other players have described in the past. You feel like you're in a zone of such focus where whether you have a miss, nothing can deter you from from like your goal. You're you're locked in, you're present, you're in the moment. You feel you feel the flow of the game. You see things unravel before they unravel. And a lot of it to be honest, is um is dependent on your teammates as well. When you're when you're in rhythm, it's on them to find you and recognize that you're feeling it. And that happened that game where I saw things unfold and I was in the right position. But then my teammates also gave me the ball in the right position to score. And it was, it was a great game overall. I mean, best college game I've had. So, and you know, this is your first pro experience. Now you take that sixth year at Northeastern, obviously yep. your best year of your college career. Yep. And I had this conversation with Coach Smith the second day of training camp, and I'm actually not sure if I remember cor- what he said correctly. Did you contact him via LinkedIn? No, via Instagram. Via, you contacted him yeah, via so, Instagram. So he always shares the story, but I, I was talking to a bunch of other CBL teams. I wanted to play in the CBL. I thought it was a great kind of way to spend my summer. I've done a lot of training. It was time to play games. And Hamilton didn't contact me. And I was, I was sure they would because I'm a Hamilton kid. I, I think I'm a good basketball player. And my girlfriend goes – why don't you just reach out to coach? And I was like, nah, I don't do that. Like coaches, <laughs> coaches reach out to me. And, and she was like, like, stop being dumb. Just like send him, send him a message. He has Instagram. Right. And I looked and I was like, yeah, he does. But like, that's just so weird. Like guys, guys who usually like do that are guys who maybe aren't as good enough to play in that level. And she was like, just do it. Like, what's the worst that could happen? So I DM him a proper message. I'm like, Hey Ryan, I just finished my six year of college. I'm a Hamilton kid. You know, I'd really like to play for the honey badge. Like it was really like a formal thing. And he tells me like, we're interested. Send some film over. I sent some film. In less than 24 hours, he hits me back. He's like, we want you. And you're like, you're, like, we're what, you're what we needed. And one thing led to another, and I end up joining the Honey Badge, and it's been honestly one of the best basketball experiences I've, I've had yet. So Yeah, that's what guys say is yeah. that this team is appears so together. Yeah. You're one of the few guys that played all 20 games yep. this season, and your roles expand. It's changed and shifted throughout the year. Yep. Definitely not just a spot-up shooter. Yep. Um, but what, what I want to ask you about with this team specifically is the team's together, but there seems to be an edge about the team, Yep. which leads to these eyebrow-raising fourth-quarter technicals and, yep. and late stuff. Like, And I haven't seen you do it specifically, but it's just this edge that you guys have. How do you guys you know, head into one-and-done season in the playoffs – how do you perceive this this edge you have? How far can you take that edge without going over the line? 
Yeah, it's 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 a tough it's a tough thing because Ryan said it a bunch of times. Our competitiveness and our passion for winning is our biggest strength and our strongest weakness. And you saw in the first couple games of the season when we channeled it in the right in the right manner, we ended up not only beating teams but we would beat teams by a lot. And then on the flip side, you've also seen our competitive edge completely take us out of our game plan, let opponents get in our heads. So I think as long as we're cognizant of how negative our competitive uh, advantage could be, uh, as long as we are able to kind of channel in the right manner, I think now towards the end of the season we're well aware of, of you know what it means. It's a one-and-done game. So just being able to, to focus on the positives that competitiveness brings to us, it'll ultimately be the reason we hold that trophy on Sunday, August 14th. So. And so one of the positives, that comes out in that game um, in Niagara, the second-last game of the season where you clinched the number one seed in yep. the most tense game. Yeah, it was probably the best game, my favorite game of the season. Yeah, I yeah. mean, so you guys, and I want to talk about Elam's strategy because I find it so interesting, and I think it's so new that, yeah. like, the optimal strategy hasn't been solved yet. Yeah. But you guys tied at 73-73. The target score is 76 so, like, the game theory is, like, both teams know the other one needs a three, so everyone's going to sell out for the three. Yeah. Going for a two is going to be terrible. Like, how do you, how did you guys in that end-of-game sequence process that when both teams know exactly what the other guy's strategy is and taking yeah. a two-point shot might be the worst idea? Yeah, I think, first of all, it depends on how good your defense is. If your defense has been shaky that night, chances are you'll probably want to do something to end the game and not rely on your defense but I mean we've always had strength in, on the defensive side so we, we trust our defense even if we don't uh, execute on the offensive but personally I think if you drop a, a good set for a three that's a good way to go. Niagara twice they just kind of did a one on one isolation and both times it resulted in an air ball three. I think when you get stagnant and just kind of force guys to make a play one on one that's when it gets a little bit iffy um so I think as long as a coach is able to drop a really strong ATO for a three, I think that's that's kind of the best way to go. That's my my opinion. Yeah, so they hit, they had two airball threes, and I think Elijah Mitru Long had an open three. Yeah, that he he might have airballed that one. Yeah, I think well. it was on the step up screen in the cor- in the right in front of their bench. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, so yeah. that that game was just yeah. so tense, but you end up you end up winning it. Yep. And then with the final game of the season, Coach Schmidt said it felt like a pickup game because yep. you guys you guys kind of knew. Yeah. You know, results aside, um, like how did that game feel overall? Because it, it meant so much more to them. But you guys played with like this like nastiness to you. Like, how did that final game? Did it feel like bad in the end, or felt like you because you, you obviously had the full margin for error? It was a no stakes game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously going into it, everybody knew the situation. You know, the fact that we clinched the number one seed, but we made it well aware. The coaches made it well aware to us that Niagara was still playing for a lot. And as a competitor, when you cross those lines, whether it's, you know, a meaningless game or for first place, if, if you are a true competitor, you want to win no matter what. And we knew Niagara was going to bring it. And Niagara is a team that likes to talk a lot. You know, they kind of get in your face and they, and, they, and they talk. And hearing that as a competitor makes you want to go even that much harder. And I think, I think once again, like, like we were talking about earlier, our competitiveness played against us in that game. Um, and the game just felt super sloppy, a pickup game. We weren't really executing. Like you said, it was a pickup game. Guys were going up and down the floor doing their own thing on both sides. And it was just basically, in my opinion, 40 minutes of bad basketball. Um, so I think, you know, we just got to got to kind of wipe that to the side and focus on getting back to us this championship weekend because if we play like that against Ottawa on Friday, we will lose. So. And so, like I said, you play in Ottawa and a team you lost to, you were down by 20 in the fourth quarter too in your yep. last game. Walt Lemon is 
such an intriguing guy to me because it's so tempting to give him like 15 feet of room yep. to shoot that bizarre jumper, yep, but yep, then that yep. kind of leads to giving him runway. Like at this point, you're five days in of prep. Yeah. Like, are you just antsy at this point? Like, let's just figure to get the ball up already. Or, yeah. or do you need more prep? Or what do you need at this point? I think I think the antsiness is going to hit me next week because you still have till next week Friday. And right now, I'm still kind of you know we're prepping, we're we're getting back to us. But I think when I hit that like Monday Tuesday mark, especially because we're leaving for Ottawa on Tuesday, when I get to Ottawa and realize we still have three more days till a game, I'm, I'm going to be like, just get me on that floor and like let's get this let's get this thing rolling. So. And do you think once the ball goes up, you know, 40-minute one and done, do you think – I mean, you've been in high-stakes games before. I imagine this would be among the highest of stakes. How do you feel the nerves are going to be once the ball tips off? Do you get nervous before and during a game, or does that kind of all subside once the ball tips off? Yeah, if I'm being honest, I get I get nervous before every game. But I, it's, it's a good nervousness. It's not like a nervousness in my abilities. It's just like – I have so much excitement, and like I just, I just can't wait to play. And it's, it's that kind of nervousness. It's a good energy. And then as soon as, a lot of that's the worst pregame. Like I was telling, who was it? Britt, one of the coaches on our staff. I was saying how much I hate pregame. I hate driving to the gym. I hate warming up. I hate, I hate all that stuff because I just, I'm just so antsy. That I just want to play. As soon as the ball's tipped, after like the first like one, two possessions, then I'm, you know, I'm in the zone. I'm ready to roll. But all that nervousness, and it, it happens every game, whether it's a regular game for Northeastern or it's, you know, a CBL Final Four matchup. Like, I always feel that nervousness. It's always there. And at this stage of your life, you know, you're 22? Uh, no, I'm 25. 25, because yeah, you're yeah. the sixth, you're the yeah, sixth yeah, year. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, you're 25 yeah. now. So at yeah. this stage, can a coach be someone to calm you down, or is it all just internal stuff, just the, the mental side of and the preparation side? Yeah, I, th- I think I, I think I, I know myself pretty well at this point. So, like, kind of, if I'm playing too fast, or if I'm, you know, not playing hard enough to where I can kind of level out my emotions and, and get to a place where I need to be. But if I respect the coach and like the coach, I mean, whatever he tells me obviously helps a lot. And Ryan's done a great job building a relationship with me this summer. And kind of, if I'm doing stuff or if I'm not shooting the ball, for example, he'll always get on me and like tell me to shoot the ball in it and. It helps bring me back to a mindset of okay, let's be aggressive. Like, and and Ryan does a great job of of if he if he reprimands you for something, pretty soon you'll be right back in the game. And so it's he's never one of the coaches who gets mad at you, tells you off, and then you're not coming in for a whole quarter. Tells you what you did wrong, take a seat, take a breather, you're right back in. And so just kind of having that reassurance that you'll get a chance to kind of make up for your mistakes really allows you to focus and lock in even more. So. That's what lots of guys say with Coach Schmidt. He gives you the dap sort of when you come out of the game. Yeah. Which is like, – he gives everyone he's, – he's, he's a player coach. He's, he's a player coach to the core. So Yeah, and he's, yeah. he's, he's obviously still growing along as well, but that's, yep. that's, that's the stuff I see from him, and so many players have said yep. similar things that he's the, that he's the player step. Yeah, he's – I mean, he's, I, I can't say enough great things about Ryan. I actually absolutely love the guy, and it's been, it's been a great privilege to play for him this summer. So. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, it's been a privilege for me to cover him. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Nick, you know, I really appreciate the time that you, t- that you. you took Thanks for me for today. Yep. And good luck in this, uh, this championship weekend. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man.